When someone sins and then truly repents, how do you respond? Pastor Ed Taylor encourages forgiveness. Forgive the repentant. It's so important. Don't forget. Don't forget this. Don't miss this. Forgive, forgive, forgive. The church, unfortunately, has a reputation of shooting its wounded, kicking them while, it's down, while they're down. No, instead, we receive the repentance and forgiveness and truly come alongside of them to help them build what the enemies tried to tear down and take away. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus loves to rebuild and restore and renew. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Those of you who are my age probably remember life before the personal computer. When you needed to write a paper, you'd turn to the good old-fashioned typewriter. And when we'd make an error or typo, we'd pull out that whiteout, right? And it would cover over those mistakes. Well, today on Abounding Grace, we'll learn that something similar happens when a person sins and then repents. God forgives them, and so should we. Pastor Ed Taylor encourages us in that direction through today's message based on 2 Corinthians 2. The longer you serve Jesus, the more you're going to come in contact with difficult situations and even sinful situations. And you're going to learn then and you're going to continue to learn that sin is always a mess. It always creates a mess. It makes things far worse than it really is. It's you know, it's like having, you know, crisp, clean, out of the dry cleaners, nice, nicely ironed and put together clothes, and then having a car drive by and just have mud splashed all over you. You, you can't undo that. It's going to take time. It's going to take time to, to change your clothes. It's going to take time to drop the clothes off at the cleaners. It's, then perhaps there's a mistake that's made, and you've got to deal with that, and you're like, man, I just, I, just had a, I just wanted to wear some clean clothes, and then this happened over here, and I, it wasn't even my fault. I mean, the guy, it's just like, it, it, sin is like that, but its consequences are far greater. And we know for the church in Corinth, they dealt with something really serious, We learned about it when we studied 1 Corinthians. It's touching on it now in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 because there was a brother in the church in a really weird, ugly, incestuous sexual relationship with his father's new wife. And instead instead of the church leadership taking a strong, godly, biblical response to it, they seemed to approve of it and let it go, and some in the church even seem to take a a sense of pride in how tolerant they were of things that were clearly sexually sinful and harmful to the name of Jesus, not unlike churches today, unfortunately, that seem to, to take great joy not in their accuracy to the word, but in their tolerance and how tolerant they are of some things, but then when you begin to stand for the word of truth, they're not tolerant for the people that stand for the word of truth. They're only tolerant for things that are sinful and compromising, and that's where the church in Corinth was, and Paul would have nothing of it. 
He wrote to them in 1 Corinthians and said, you need to deal with this. We need to talk to that brother. This relationship needs to stop. Your glorying is not good, he said. And instead of repenting, unfortunately, the, the brother refused. The brother said, you can't tell me what to do. And although we don't know his exact words, we've heard these things before. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. The Bible doesn't really mean that. And I can think of all the things that he could have said. And the only response from the leadership of the church was, well, one of the worst things that can happen after you go through the steps of biblical discipline, church discipline in Matthew 18, you go, Jesus said, you go to the person first, you and him alone. If that doesn't work, you go back with another couple brothers. If that doesn't work, you go back with the leadership of the church. If the brother still doesn't respond or the sister doesn't respond, then you remove them from the church. It's called church discipline. Paul describes it in this case of turning this brother over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And as we've looked at those various studies in previous times here at Calvary, you know that the purpose of, of biblical discipline Church discipline is for the purpose of restoration. It's not the purpose of destruction, even though if somebody has to deal with their own sinful decisions and come to their senses, once they come to their senses, they see how bad it really is. And now we have to deal with the consequences. And Paul, he picks up in this second letter, and in verse 5 is overlapping where we were last time of chapter 2. If anyone has caused grief, he's not grieved me, but all of you to some extent not to be too severe. He's referring to this exact situation, looking backwards now. The punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. You might want to circle that phrase, such a man. Such a man. What is this such a man? Well, this man is broken, humble, and repentant. Broken, humble and repentant. He's a lot like the prodigal son who came to his senses. He's a different person. He's recognized his sin. He's broken and crushed over it. And he has repented. That means he's no longer in it. He has stopped it. And he's done whatever he needs to do with those fruits of repentance to make things right. He's broken. He's humble. And he's repentant. He's no longer engaging in this sin. He's now renouncing the hidden things of darkness and the shame of his sinful behavior. He's a different person. That's such a man. We've also looked at the differences in studies as well, the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. So repentance isn't necessarily just worldly sorrow. There's a lot of people sorry for what they've done. They're sorry for what they've done not because of their broken heart before the Lord. They're sorry for what they've done because they have been caught, because it hurts, because it's difficult now. Because people know things about them that they didn't know before. Because of their actions, it's revealed a part of their lives that they would rather have hidden. And so they're sorry. There are many times there's a person before a police officer that pulls them over or a judge that's ready to say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Well, you know, I am too to inflict the just punishment in your life. This is something that you did. It can't be undone. Now, of course, we... Stand before a judge, we're going to beg for what? Give me justice, judge. I want justice. And give me the justice for the guy that's behind me too. No way. You're going to plead for what? Mercy. Go easy on me. I know what I deserve, but I'm asking you not to give it to me. 
And you know, that's what we plead before our God in heaven as well. God, show mercy. That's what a repentant person does. He says, I know I've blown it. I don't deny it. I understand the people that I have hurt. I mean, let me, let me show you a brief picture. You know, what does that look like? Let me show you. Turn over to Psalm 51. Would you, Psalm 51? David gives us a wonderful, beautiful picture of what godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Godly sorrow is, is, I am broken before you, God. I have sinned against you and you alone. And David, he cries out, as you'll notice in verse 1 of Psalm 51, he cries out not for justice but for mercy. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindnesses. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, verse 4, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Down in verse 10, he gets to the place to just create a clean heart in me, O God. It's deep within me, this behavior, this action, this attitude. Renew a steadfast spirit. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your generous spirit. For those of you Bible students, you know that Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance. After David was busted, by his friend Nathan for his sin with Bathsheba. He was broken. Dealing with sin is always a mess. And for this brother, just so you know now, remember you're circling that phrase, such a man? Well, now you know what kind of man this was. It was a broken, humble, repentant man. Forgive me. I've done wrong to you, God. I've done wrong to this woman. I've done wrong to my dad. I've done wrong to the church. He says it's been sufficient, verse 7 now, back in 2 Corinthians, so that on the contrary, you ought to rather forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. There was repentance and there was change. There was a renewal of love and obedience in this brother's life. And where there, listen, mark this down, write it down, or remember it. Where there is true repentance, there is always to be true restoration following right behind it. And that's a two-way street, right? Where there is true repentance, then that is to be followed. Those of you that serve in leadership, those of you that are in relationship, those of you that's where there is true repentance, there's to be true restoration. Now, of course, that may take time, and, and that may take some working through some issues. It may take a tremendous outpouring of God's Holy Spirit in your life to forgive, to comfort the one that hurt you. But there is to be followed by true repentance, true restoration. And it's beautiful to see God work in such matters. That is the story of the believers of God, true restoration and brokenness. That God might bring bring us to himself. And for this young man where sin wrecked a life, God restores it. What a joy. Somehow in the process, unfortunately, of this young man, there was a decision from the church and the leaders to withhold their love and forgiveness and restoration. They chose not to give it. 
There was a demonstration of true repentance, true brokenness, and yet there was a response from the leadership of the church to withhold. We see that in verse 7. You guys need to rather to forgive. You need to forgive. You guys aren't forgiving. You need to forgive the brother. You need to comfort him. It's enough. It's enough. This, by the way, was just as bad as their first response. It's like the pendulum swung all the way. So on one hand, they just, in the beginning, when they were immature in their leadership, they just, oh, it's okay, it's not that big a deal, you know, it's not sin, it, we're just one of those churches that's tolerant, and Paul said, no, deal with it. So they're, all right, all right, we'll do it. Whatever the Bible says, whatever God's word, we will do it. And now, after the process of brokenness and, and all the things this brother had to go through, it leads to repentance, it leads to this brokenness, this humility. Now they've swung the pendulum all the way to the other side. Now they're not going to let him back. First they didn't want to deal with it, and now they're being too harsh and not allowing restoration to take place. And either side is just as bad. For the repentant, there is always that need to forgive and comfort. Forgiveness speaks to the sin, and comfort speaks to the person. Forgiveness speaks to the sin. You've sinned against me. You have repented. We all wish it never happened because of what Jesus has done in my life, because I've been forgiven much. I forgive you. That speaks to the release of sin in our lives between one another. And then following up that, now comfort ministers to the person and to all the things they have to deal with because of that sinful decision. Forgive the repentant. It's so important. Don't forget, don't forget this. Don't miss this. Forgive, forgive, forgive. The church, unfortunately, has a reputation of shooting its wounded, kicking them while, it's down, while they're down. No, instead, we receive the repentance and forgiveness and truly come alongside of them to help them build what the enemies tried to tear down and take away. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus loves to rebuild and restore and renew. We minister to them. We help them so that they, in verse 7, won't be swallowed up with too much sorrow, that it won't overwhelm them. So reaffirm, he says, verse 8, your love. Reaffirm. Speak words of kindness to them and love. Encourage them. According to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This is so key because the enemy truly does, and, and sometimes people participate in it, they do such a thorough job and a complete job of accusing the brethren and destroying the brethren. And when we, when we stray, or when a brother strays, a sister strays, there's always someone there to take advantage of it. So we need to speak words, reaffirming their love, so it's too much so, sorrow. So, so deal with them, bring them back. Therefore I urge you, verse 9, for to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I've forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. The repentance took place, and Paul says, I'm with you, man. We forgive them together in the Lord. But then, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but it jumped off 
in our study, in my studies, that's why I'm going to pause here in verse 11. He says, for whom you forgive anything, verse 10, I forgive. Indeed, if I've forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. For some reason, I never really saw this verse 11 tied in with the topic of forgiveness before. We're going to talk a lot about some of the wiles of the devil tonight. I'll give you a few things to put, give you a heads up. But let me give you one if you don't already know it. One of the wiles of the devil is to convince you not to forgive. A wiles or schemes, one of the tactics. That if you and I sit here, stand here today in unforgiveness, you're listening out on the radio, out at the campus, you are listening on a podcast or watching online, wherever you are, downstairs in the cafe, sitting there in unforgiveness, you've been trapped by the schemes of the devil. That's where you're at. And you are just a few steps away, if not already, from the clutches of bitterness and a root of bitterness that started with a simple unwillingness to forgive. We don't want to be trapped by the wiles of the devil or the ignorant, be ignorant of his devices, his devices, his schemes. It was Warren Wearsby that said, forgiveness is the medicine that helps to heal broken hearts. It was important that the church here give assurance of the love of God. And it's interesting, the test that we go through as believers, so often no, not even realizing it's a test. We don't even realize it's just a weird situation, something that's really different for the day, a challenge, a, a new person at work. You, you move into a new neighborhood and you're sharing a wall with someone. You're like, oh, I don't know, where, who, where this, what, this is, they didn't tell us this when we rented this place. We what is this? And, and it's, it's a test. It's a test, a phone call, a text message, a temptation. It's all tests. A test. But did you know some of the tests that we face is the test of forgiveness? That can be a hard one, to forgive in the agape love of God, the unconditional love of God. We use that word so easily, unconditional love, unconditional love. And there may be even times where we convince ourselves that we love someone unconditionally until we start talking and we find out, no, there are a few conditions. Because what if so-and-so did such-and-such? Oh, I don't know. Ah, you love them unconditionally? Absolutely unconditionally. But what if such-and-such? Oh, I don't know. And that would just be honesty right there. That's all that is. It's just pure honesty. Where the Spirit, you know, speaks in our hearts where we want that unconditional, yes, I want the agape love of God. I want that unconditional love of God. And yet at the same time, tests come that would question. And we would have to step back and go, I don't know that I so love that person as unconditionally as I thought because one just came up <laughs> and it's a tough one. As love is flowing, obedience is following. The issue was not just love. The issue for them was not just comfort. The issue for them was not just restoration. It was a test of obedience. Will they do what God said for them to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 laid out the test. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 1 and chapter 2 is the end result of the test and the obedience that was to follow. And it's cool to see because somehow, somewhere along the way, if you look at verse 5, there's a hint that there is a particular person that has hurt Paul. 
and grieved Paul. And he was able to forgive them as an example to the church. He says, hey, I'm, it could have been just this, even this young man, we're not quite sure, but the context seems to appeal, to appeal that this is the guy, that he somehow hurt Paul personally, maybe because Paul stood up for righteousness, the guy started a campaign against him and started, you know, who knows what it was. But Paul was able to forgive him in the Lord because there was true repentance and brokenness. Jesus would say this in Luke chapter 17, verse 3. He said, take heed to yourselves. If the brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, I'll tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say rebuke him again. <laughs> Some of you even memorize this. You know what it says. It doesn't say if a brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he, you know, if he repents, rebuke him again. It says if he repents, forgive him. That's what it says. You're listening to Abounding Grace and part of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in 2 Corinthians. You can also look for these messages online at calvaryco.church. If you have a smartphone or tablet, check out our apps in the App Store or Google Play. They're free, and they're great ways for you to take in the Word of God wherever you go. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. Pastor Ed, in our lesson today, you touched on the importance of forgiveness— and that doesn't always come easy for us. If someone listening right now is struggling to forgive someone, what would you like to say to them? Well, I would say, first of all, for those of you listening that are having a very difficult time forgiving, um, I would say that I understand the place that you're in to some degree. Uh, forgiveness comes hard when you're hurt deeply. Uh, and and really, the deeper the hurt, the more need there is for forgiveness, because when you are uh, upset, offended, then you get angry, then you get frustrated, then you get to the place of bitterness, then you get to the place of unforgiveness. All of those emotions destroy you and the people around you. It doesn't destroy the person that hurt you, so that your response to the pain could actually do more damage to you than the pain itself. And I'm sorry that you're in a place. There would be really no need for forgiveness if there wasn't hurt and pain. But the context of forgiveness is always the cross of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We forgive because he first forgave us. We forgive because of all that God has done in our lives. We forgive because Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again to forgive us of our sins. And I would say that forgiveness needs to be distinguished from reconciliation. Uh, forgiveness is an act of obedience. And you, you forgive someone, and literally you release someone from the debt that they owe you. And if there's repentance on the other side, then you can begin the process of reconciliation. But forgiveness releases the person, but more importantly, releases you and is the antidote to any type of bitterness and frustration. That doesn't mean that the pain's going to go away, because forgiveness is an act in time whereby healing is a process and it takes time. So I would say decide to obey. And, and you might think, well, it's impossible. But I was just looking at Luke's gospel today, chapter six, about that man with the withered hand and how that man with the withered hand, he, he hadn't had movement in his hand forever. And Jesus told him, go ahead and move your hand. And in that command was the ability to obey. And so it's not even something you need to work up. God within you, the Holy Spirit within you is a God who forgives. And as you yield yourself to him, you will forgive, and with great hope that there's change on the other side so that relationships can be rebuilt, 
Blessed are the peacemakers. And so I would say do it and express it and pray that God will work equally. Uh, well, he is working equally on the other side, but that the person on the other side would cooperate equally with the work of God. Great question. Decide to obey and pray. Thanks, Pastor Ed, for those words of encouragement. Here in the month of August, we've picked out an excellent book we believe will really be of help to you or a friend of yours. See if this sounds familiar. Someone comes up to you with a problem they're facing, and you know Scripture speaks to it, but you just can't quite think of the verse. Well, the quick Scripture reference for counseling is just what you need to be able to quickly find the Bible passages for the issues you and your friends are faced with. It's arranged topically so you can quickly find what you're looking for. And we'll send it to you when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more today. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.church. And thank you for your support. It helps us get the word out on stations like this one all across the nation. Our time together sure goes by quickly, doesn't it? But we're already looking forward to our next study in 2 Corinthians right here on Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. God bless. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 